So my name is Daniel Benjamins. I am a healthcare director working at Upco Worldwide. Um, I'm moderating this next session on digital health. Um, we've been hearing about blockchain for quite a while, uh, but it's still not very well understood by everybody. And also uh, more, of course, uh, what the implications or possibilities are for, for healthcare. Um, today, we want to talk a bit more about the concrete opportunities and challenges and as we are in the European Parliament, also would be good to explore a little bit um, about um, what are the required policy actions um, to further develop this in the near future. Uh, we are fortunate to have uh, with us today um, a group of international leading policymakers and thought leaders on this matter. Um, I'm about to ask them to introduce themselves, uh, but first I want to hand over to Amit Biboni. Um, I don't know if you require an introduction to this crowd, but I guess it's safe to say that you are one of the most digital savvy uh, members of the European Parliament. Um, you've been focusing a lot on digital health. And um, yeah, I would like to ask if you have a few opening statements as, as host of this panel. First of all, thank you very much for the invitation and thank you very much for this concept, this idea to organize the whole day on blockchain. Uh, because, uh, as I know, there are many discussions, there are many debates today, and it is very important to understand what kind of, uh, of uh, solutions uh, the blockchain can uh, uh, bring uh, to us when we are talking about uh, ICT development, when we are talking about digital revolution. It's obvious that uh, when we are talking about uh, uh, digital health, e-health, the new paradigm at the area of healthcare, uh, due to possibilities uh, opened by uh, digital technologies, uh, we need to focus on some issues. Firstly, it's how to process the data and how to use the data. Secondly, how to um, change uh, the model and uh, uh, prepare the diagnosis much more uh, uh, oriented on uh, real uh, problems uh, important for patients. Uh, I think it's important to understand that uh, when we know more about uh, uh, the patient, when we know more due to um, uh, real-time monitoring the state of health, uh, some analysis of genetic uh, uh, conditions and so on and so on, so we can prepare the better uh, therapies. Uh, better therapies in the e-health area means personalized therapies, personalized medicine, personalized medical services. And I think it's very, very uh, important. It's uh, changing the relations between patient and uh, physician and doctor. It's changing uh, the uh, uh, healthcare paradigm uh, because now uh, in the tradition, it's clear that uh, we are reacting on some diseases and symptoms of diseases, but it uh, should be much more focused on prevention. Uh, and uh, uh, what is the role of the blockchain? When we want to exchange health information and make it much more secure and uh, make the situation much more complex, we can use blockchain networks and blockchain solutions. Because uh, this technology uh, can uh, uh, 
develop the potential to connect fragmented systems to generate insights and uh, give the better access of value uh, of curves. So it's creating, uh, uh, it's creating efficiency. On the other hand, we need to understand that uh, this is, a, if I can say, starting point for blockchain. So it means that we need to work on adoption and implementation of blockchains, and it will be the evolution rather than revolution. But I'm ready to put the question, yes, because probably it could be also, uh, uh, on the one hand, this is very disruptive. On the other hand, it could be much more faster and uh, uh, go in the way which will be much more revolutionary. Uh, it's very important to understand how important the new understanding of the role of cloud will be when we will use uh, the blockchain, because it will uh, allow us to analyze aggregated records, uh, and on the other hand, uh, it's the new possibility uh, to organize uh, the streamlined data flows across stakeholders which is very important because it's opening the possibility for remote consultations and also using for some advices, not only, if I can say, human doctors, but also to open the artificial intelligence to be much more open for machine learning, for uh, new model of conversation between patient and, uh, and machine learning. With all the requirements, ethical and so on and so on, patients should know with whom uh, uh, he is talking uh, about his uh, health. On the other hand, I think that uh, this is also very important to understand that blockchain probably will combine in a much more proper way uh, the uh, some efforts important for monitoring of the state of health and the combination, the monitoring and analysis by using uh, artificial intelligence uh, and uh, machine uh, learning. At the end, it's clear that we need to combine technological achievements and some requirements and the feeling of patients which are important for his, uh, 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 their, their uh, feeling of security and privacy protection. And I think we need to focus on both. There is no one area uh, so we can say, okay, we need to protect pri privacy, we need to protect security, but we need to be cautious with the development of technologies. We need to go hand in hand, shoulder in shoulder, uh, when we want to achieve uh, uh, some, new, uh, some new goals. And as you know, we have GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, in the European uh, uh, Union. We need to put some new questions related to GDPR and in the future to the e-privacy, because e-privacy will describe in the future the uh, uh, model of transferring of data. And I think it will be very important not to kill the, mod the possibilities of processing the data, uh, so the uh, legislation should be much more open than we have discussed in the first version in the European Parliament. And I hope that we will come back in the next term to this debate, and it will be much more open for data, uh, data processing. It is important for creating the trust, because the e-health requires the new uh, model of trust between patients patients and uh, uh, physicians, 
the new technologies uh, uh, require uh, uh, also uh, uh, to build the trust between all users and the technologies. And uh, in, in the blockchain, we can organize it in the complex way. And on the other hand, uh, also we can uh, uh, make it uh, much more oriented for digital trust uh, built by uh, design. Uh, also, we need to remember that uh, blockchain means, very often in discussions it's clear, uh, decentralization. And also it is decentralization of data. And some people are saying that uh, uh, now data, uh, medical data belongs to patients. Uh, but enforcing transparency with blockchain technologies may be helpful uh, to, uh, to create uh, the new model of and uh, uh, much more uh, uh, the readiness among uh, uh, patients uh, uh, to use the data because they will, they will feel that it will be secure and, uh, and, uh, and protected. And of course, uh, I think that uh, blockchain will create uh, stronger interoperability. Uh, not on uh, uh, the na national level, but uh, generally. And when we are talking about uh, adaptation of electronic medical records in last two, uh, ten years, uh, it's clear that every hospital seems to have its own vendor. But sharing and distributing patient medical data from one provider to the another is now inefficient. Blockchain network can create the new possibilities and make it uh, much more possibility. So, finally, we need to solve interoperability problems, and blockchain uh, 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 is uh, uh, ready to help us. And also, I think that uh, it will be much more easier to create uh, uh, interoper interoperable solutions uh, uh, using blockchain uh, 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 models. Uh, it's also very important that blockchain uh, will create the special uh, value chain and relation chain between all stakeholders, uh, researchers, patients, uh, healthcare practitioners, and the, the access to the data stored in database, stored in this cloud, stored, stored in networks will be much more uh, uh, um, uh, open and uh, we can use uh, those uh, those uh, uh, those data and also I think it is important that data stored in in platforms uh, can be quickly distributed into servers in different areas without single failure or disaster. The more transactions we will have, and it's clear that the more transactions uh, that happen with the with the data, the higher the value of the network uh, will be. So. Uh, I think that we are at the beginning on the one hand, so we need to discuss what is needed when we are talking about the framework. And when I'm talking about the framework, it doesn't mean strong legislation, because I have a little distance to the strong legislation before, because technologies are developing much more fastly uh, uh, than our legislation. <laughs> so, so, so I think that we need to be much more open for uh, uh, light models of uh, legislation for code of conduct, for co-legislation, self-legislation, self-regulation, and so on and so on. And I think that uh, today's dis uh, discussion uh, will open uh, uh, the area 
of the blockchain technologies uh, for e-health. Uh, we are working on the communication done by the Commission, and we are working on the framework for the future uh, European Parliament, uh, how to use and how to build a strong background for e-health, uh, also using blockchain. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Boney. It's, been, it's clear that you've given it a lot of thought. Um, and let's see um, and hear from the, from the panelists if they agree with everything you said. Uh, maybe they have um, some additional questions for you um, about what is required from, uh, from the members of the European Parliament. Um, now, I would like to move over to the panelists and ask them quickly <coughs> to introduce themselves um, and share a few initial thoughts about the topic from their specific perspective. Uh, I wanted to keep it very short. So um, about five minutes, uh, but um, we actually we lost one uh, panelist uh, on the Belgium highway uh, this morning. Um, Mr. Mark Hennessy couldn't join in the end. Uh, that means that you have uh, a little bit of extra time, so one more minute. So that's uh, maybe a, a positive um, effect of that. I want to start with um, and invite uh, Mr. André Ries to um, share his views on the potential future blockchain-driven healthcare system. Uh, maybe from the perspective of your current position as director responsible for health systems, medical products and innovation at DG um, Sanko, but perhaps also from your personal perspective as a medical doctor specialized in radiology and public health. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, so you introduced me already. So yes, my job in the European Commission is uh, working the NDG Santé, which is uh, in, the, in my department, we, we work on the health system, but also medical products like, like um, authorization of medicines. So, so I can also have a few words about the, the data and R&D uh, pipeline, which, which already Michal, Michal referred. Uh, I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's clear on paper, you know, when you read this, the, the blockchain technology has potential to bring to the, to the, to the changes in the healthcare sector. You, know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you feel this. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I'm happy that, that, that I am participating this, in this uh, meeting because it's maybe the next step to open eye to the to the potential users of this of this technology. Because my call is that we have to avoid the the feeling of black box. You know, the the, the people you, you bring this technology to, to to physicians or to hospital managers or reimbursement agencies, and you said, okay, it's going to work. It's a it's if my son, you know, who is one of my three children in IT business, he said, tried to explain me, you know, how uh, this working, you know, I said, well, it's working, but what is in, you know, the old terms he used, they were completely foreign to me, you know, so I, and I'm not, uh, uh, you know, new in the, in the digital world, you know, so, so I think it's a, it's, it's a first step to explain this is not magic solution, it's not black box, because what I think health professionals hate that you bring the solution and you don't explain what is this. So I think this will be my first remark before I go to other important things. Uh, when you see this again from the from the, the concept of healthcare today, you know there are a lot of uh, ideas that are very close to the to the heart of the policymakers. You know, just mentioned transparency. It's uh, almost in every every policy paper we we develop around the globe. Decentralization. Again, you know, it's the nature of the health system. Accountability uh, is again, you know, so it's, it's addressed basically the, the the all just just mentioned the three three challenges in the in the health sector. But when we go to the to the so what 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 
can bring this magic solution and interesting solution to the to the to the to the citizens. Uh, I think this is the something already was mentioned by by, by uh, Michal. It's a the fragmented health data. This is what we hear, you know, when you go to the GP offices. I don't have access to the hospital records, and I would like to help you, but I didn't see your like ECG exam or spirometry exam or or your blood test. You go again to, to get the blood test because I don't trust, you know, the, the this, this 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 data even there on the paper. Uh, so, so they're uh, so they're related to the to the individuals uh, are there in the system, but they are they are you know uh, completely fragmented. So the so it looks like the the stitching this data together, the, this technology can 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 help and, and build this uh, as we call the the health profile as stitching, you know, it's a glue, glue stitching. The other problem is a lack of uh, citizens' secure access to their own health data. You know, when we did a study last year before we published our, our um, communication on, on um, digital health and care, uh, we understood the citizens basically they don't have problem to share data. You know, we see kind of rather positive outcome, but of course then then the things are coming. You know, trust and security, and of course you know this is this is what what individuals are. Happy to grant, but they also like to make sure that the, the first access is easy for them, but the data are also secured. So, so I think this is this is what we what we see as a as a commission as a as a prerequisite of the of this of this uh, game change. Uh, lack of interoperability. This is other problem in the health system. So we know this. It's uh, so the, the current transfer of data between clinicians and, and, and the related actors is very difficult. Uh, blockchain may help, but also we cannot uh, bring the, 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 the solution without work done by the healthcare professionals themselves. You know, this is not that we, we employ technology if, for example, it's not agreed in the, in the professional cycle that there is a standard of communication, and I give you an example. We try to to see, for example, how you how you see how many transactions you can see in the radiology if you like keep on the, on the, in my field. So in one country, uh, the way they pay for cardi radiology services is generating almost 3,000 codes, transaction codes. In other country, when they have the block approach, you have 40. So you know, so where where is the <laughs> The, the 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 distance of course you know especially when you start to to this transaction you know between different providers and payers you know it's going uh, a great nightmare so security and dynamic consent i think this is the the for the transfer of health data this blockchain again you know seems like a like a solution so of course it's attracting uh, our interest and uh, if this transfer can be granted by 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 patients and the concept could be modified with row as well uh, recorded uh, if needed this again is, is giving the the potential of this technology to the healthcare and other point uh, if those things would work i think the the, the patients uh, because we spoke healthcare professionals but i think patients citizens you know he or she is the, the supporter, because if the trust is the issue, if the access is the issue, if the my rights are issue, of course I can support. Uh, 
The last point of the benefit of this technology, which, which we really feel, you know, study all kinds of documents with Maltim, is the, is the management, you know. And uh, we just recently, last week, published uh, jointly with uh, OECD report about health in class. It's a part of our communication around the uh, state in health EU. And one of the, the we try always to like, you know, two, two topics. One was mental health, but the other one was about the, the waste in healthcare. And of course, you know, those of you working in the health system, you know that, uh, that sometimes in the hospital, uh, managers are surprised when you do study that, uh, according to different, different um, articles, I have seen that up to 20% of medical devices, they are not uh, authorized to be in the hospital. They're not that, that you cannot use them, but simply they're coming to different routes, or they're not used, or they're reused, and so on. So, so even the supply chain, you know, is an issue. I have seen the study in the in the Massachusetts uh, 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 hospital when they when they uh, Mass General when they when they showed that you can increase and reduce the cost of, of operational theater by simply better management. So you don't need to spend more money. You can also reduce or allocate, you know, some savings. So so savings money. Is a is a big issue, uh, or wise reallocation is a is a is a issue. So so this may be something you know we can also uh, put on the on the on the. Of course, you know the the number of payers will also see this technology as as a way to reduce the frauds. You know in the in the in the in the system because there is also clearly the the frauds, the way to make money not the correct way. So this technology. Combining medical and, and, trans, and uh, financial transaction can help. But it's a bit about the uh, kind of difficulties we are facing when we when we study this this approach. The first, uh, uh, I think that the, the cautious is that, as I already said, to understand you know the, the, how this makes her with the transformation because this is I think critical. Uh, second is how we address uh, the privacy concerns, you know, and how this uh, can can help with this because you know the 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 the, the wrong um, direction uh, happened when when people would, will say, okay, this technology is going opposite way, and then promise, you know. So this is what, of course, we have to avoid. Already was mentioned about the GDPR and the right to erase, you know, how this will work, you know, the, this should be also explained, you know, because we know now access is possible, transparency is possible, but uh, for example, a right to erase is, is working in this system or not, this is uh, a bit unclear to, to me, trying to understand better. Uh, Decentralization framework also is a is a is a is a under GDPR is also quite dynamic uh, issue because you know who is the controller and who is the processor in this system. You know, I, I think it would be very, very interesting for me to understand because, you know, it's, 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 it's very difficult. And finally, the, the privacy sensitive data needs to be preserved on all costs because the trust lost, rebuilt will be, will be very, very dif difficult. What is the uh, next step? Creativity of the, of the policy framework, soft regulations, you know, the, 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 the experiments, pilots, we see them already going on in a in, in, in few countries. Uh, they are still on the very small uh, uh, scale, but I think it's good because if, the, if they will work, you know, I, I hear from one government, they're ready to, to scale up, but they first they would like to try with the, with the small transactions and, and medical um, uh, evidence, which they hope it will not harm if something goes wrong. Clever approach. And then finally, the, 
uh, we should explain, you know, what will bring, what kind of efficacy in the system this 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 will bring, you know, and uh, and I don't like to 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 kind of balance between the the money efficacy, cost saving, waste management in the healthcare sector against this transparency, accountability, and citizen rights because they are both important on the on the same same level. Uh, so, but I think it's good to discuss this, you know, because I think the this is the the trick. Which way blockchain make blockchain? Thank you. Thank you, Andres. I think we uh, heard a lot already about the potential and the concerns of this technology. So I think it's time to to listen to the people that are are working on the solutions. And I wanted to start with um, Frank Ricotta. Uh, he's the CEO of Burst IQ, a company providing end-to-end -end enablement uh, of blockchain-based health application services. So I would like to ask if you can explain briefly what this exactly means sure. and, and how you believe uh, blockchain, from your perspective, will impact um, the health sector and maybe also confirm or deny uh, whether or not it addresses uh, some of the concerns that uh, Mr. Boni and, and Andres uh, expressed now. Great. Well, uh, thanks for having me on the panel. I'm uh, excited to be here. So. And, and thank you for the introduction. So let's let's take a step back in terms of what what is the what is the broader impact potential of blockchain? Because you know I started Burst IQ three and a half years ago. Blockchain was a fundamental building block of what we set out to do. Um, and why why was that? Well, we we think there's a broader need, um, and that is providing more of a university health a universal health equity and access. You know, it's just not about taking medical records and putting them on a blockchain. It's, it's providing a whole new kind of access economy for health and health services by empowering the individual. And really at the core of that is data. You know, allowing an individual own and control their data and to gain value from their data in terms of how they interact with their care providers, how they, how they can use that data to live a better and more healthier life, and even potentially monetizing it. Because at the end of the day, data really is the currency of digital health. You know, everybody wants to own it because they know it's extremely valuable. New companies are generated every day, every day to generate more of it. Researchers are, are hungry, hungry for data uh, to produce uh, new and innovative health care and treatments. But we're still at this fundamental root cause that individuals have a hard time accessing it and, under, and let alone understanding it to use it in a productive way. And that's the problem we set out to solve. There's no, no other industry within health, and health really isn't one industry. There's a lot of verticals within the healthcare space. You know, on one end, you have large hospitals and systems and, and doctors and physicians and other care providers. On the other end, you have pharmaceuticals uh, and biotech companies. And in between, you have this whole, whole plethora of digital health service providers uh, addressing individual needs at different levels from dealing with chronic conditions which by the way 80% of all our 80% uh, of all money spent in health is really associated to chronic conditions diabetes heart uh, heart disease um, <coughs> blood pressure etc um, uh, so so it you know where what's missing is this unification across this this notion of connectivity of connecting all these all these little data islands in a way Way that makes sense, and that's that's really where blockchain fits is in that is in providing the roads and bridges between all these various dimensions within within the healthcare community. Um, 
so some of, some of the things I want to address is, you know, I, I really I really do strongly believe in this notion in the in the transition to personalized or person centric person centric medicine. I think that is really the true health, uh, the true tipping point in this whole conversation, and in my view, really a health singularity, <clears throat> and that's a convergence of of all these precision these new and emerging precision medicine tests that address really the primary determinants of health. How, how, I, how I'm built as a person, my genetics or genomes, how my body's functioning as phenome and cellular type tests, as well as kind of these second, second tier data, all these, all these next generation of IoT devices. You know, I'm not talking just about a Fitbit that counts your steps. I'm talking about things that really provide quantitative measurements um, of how, how your body's working or how, how you're living in a certain way. Because let's face it, 99.999% of our lives are lived outside of a clinical environment. You know, we go see a doctor, a physician when something's wrong, and the systems are all set up to deal with, you know, a patient encounter, not a person health, a person's health journey and health profile. Yes, there are, there are really good doctors out there that, that really strive to do that, but the system itself in terms of how it works, how people get paid within the systems, are all dealt with sick care, not helping somebody live a nice health, healthy journey or building a journey map with their, with their health profile. And I think that's where blockchain comes in. You know, blockchain provides this, this, this amazing longitudinal view of you, of a person. You know, it makes the quantified self uh, become a reality. Um, and in, in that, you know, it enables us to, again, interact with our, our care providers in new and meaningful ways in virtualized access because I have a better view of who we are as a person, you know, without me having to sit in, in front of them and poking me with a needle. Um, it allows me to, to really move across different types of care providers. You know, we're gonna see 16 doctors over the course of our lifetime, as an example. Um, and so the, the need for really being able to present ourselves as a person uh, is, become, is becoming more, um, uh, uh, more of a necessity to deal with these burgeoning costs within within the health systems, and I don't care where you are in the world. There's still some fundamental problems. You know, I, I hear well, the U.S. is different than Europe, which is you know different than Asia. You know, I, I, to some degrees, I, I believe I believe that's true from a health delivery system. Uh, in other ways, I don't. I mean, I still hear the same stories in single payer systems about the ability. Uh, to share data uh, across care boundaries or across the entire care continuum. I still hear the same stories about people, ha uh, horror stories about people getting the type of care they really need or really, you know, dealing with the, the right kind of medication that's suited for, for themselves. You know, let's realize uh, half, the, half the population, half the population of those that are 60 years or older are on, on the wrong medication or the wrong kind of drug cocktail. Uh, why? Because they'll see doc one doctor and then another doctor, then a third doctor, all prescribe them something different. And then when you get in emerging growth uh, areas of the world, they don't ha have access to the same kind of care or the same kind of opportunities. Um, and I'm going to throw this out just from a clinical trial perspective. You know, 90 plus percent of all clinical trials are in North America and Western Europe. I don't think we have 90 percent of the population. You know, there's there's quite quite a diversity that we're just not touching at this point in time. That a system like this would enable 
the, the next generation or next type of clinical trials, you know, more virtual trials, they don't have to be specific, where experts truly can collaborate without the fear of compromising underlying intellectual property or, or ownership of their research, which I think can be very, very powerful. So from a burst IQ perspective, you know, this is where we come in. When we say we're a blockchain enablement platform, really what we are is we're a network of care providers, businesses, uh, small and large, uh, connected with each other and you know, all those focused in the health space and with the people they serve. That's what our intent is. That's what our broader, our broader mission is. Um, and unlike most blockchain companies, we, we're well beyond talking about a lot of use cases. We've been actively in production with large hospital systems now for almost a year. Um, one of our cornerstone clients has driven 20% of the cost of surgical operations um, uh, out, out of their system. That's a lot, considering most hospitals, half the cost of most hospitals are centered around surgical operations. So it's either a reduction of cost or an increase of capacity. That's amazing, right? And on the other side, we have biotech and pharma companies dealing with um, concept, uh, you know, improving supply chain and dealing with fraud and eliminating fraud. You know, but from our perspective, you know, we're not, we're not all those applications. Burst IQ is not all those appl applications. We focus on making data usable for those applications and transportable across those applications, which is really one of the wicked problems in health. Data is, is probably the number one problem in health and health systems, regardless of where you live. Um, and if we make a small dent in that and we change, change the whole access economy and ha access method for health and health services, you know, I think we've done a great benefit for society. Thank you. That was a lot of information. I think um, you are trying to get in the black box what Andre spoke about and make make that usable. That's right. That's uh, and you know I think it's I, I think it's important to point out. Sorry, I'm jumping back in. Is that you know we talk about blockchain as one thing. You know, blockchain is not one thing. Yes, it's a it's a technology, and there's lots of different ways to implement the technology. And, and I'm sure the technologists in this room each have their own view of which one's the best. But really, blockchain is more of a way of doing things. And, and that's really more of a way it's talking about democratization or enabling individuals and individual liberties in, in a way that's productive for society. You know, and government and legislation and regulatory uh, bodies all have a role, uh, role to play in all of this, not from the standpoint of directing how the technology itself evolves, but in what they're supposed to do, which is, which is to protect us as citizens and to provide safe environments uh, for us to live our lives. Thank you. That brings us to our last panelists. Um, I think in the beginning we spoke about the need for um, uh, healthcare professionals or people with a medical background to understand better um, the technology. I think that it's a good way to um, go to you, Alex um, uh, Kahana, to share with us your journey uh, and how you ended up working on blockchain. Yeah, thank you and uh, thank you for APCO for, for having this important discussion. Uh, if uh, blockchain in general is a sideline discussion, then blockchain and healthcare is even less and, uh, and the interest becomes even more, more uh, pointed. Um, I do want to say a few, a few words about my unusual journey because that will explain also uh, um, 
why uh, uh, um, uh, my focus is on blockchain. And um, a, a lot of problems were, were, were brought up in the last half an hour. I'll just try and focus it on four main messages because for, for people who don't live blockchain on a daily basis, this could be dizzying. Um, I, I write in my uh, uh, medium moniker that I lived four lives in one, which means not only that I'm old, but also I know the dirty little secrets of each life. And so the first life was in the military saying not only that we're mission-driven and data-driven and situation-aware, but really we understand that none of us is as good as all of us. So this whole concept of decentralization is natural. This whole idea of community building, this whole idea of interdependence is something that is second to none. Um, I've been, uh, since medical school, uh, 30 years, so I did not graduate thinking that I'll be uh, a, a, a leader in the uh, crypto health field. Um, I, was, uh, I built four pain departments in my career, so it's safe to say that I'm familiar, it was in three different countries that I'm familiar with global health systems, both as a provider, as a patient advocate, as someone who's done laboratory research, bed research, familiar with working with insurance companies, with vendors, with the industry. I was sucked in, in the United States into the opioid epidemic, which is a total failure of healthcare delivery. And so as we speak here, I want to remind you that every seven minutes someone dies from an overdose, so we need to move a little bit more gingerly on solutions. Uh, that exposed me to the regulatory and legal aspects of it, and I became a subject matter expert for the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration. So systems thinking and systems design. And in the last 10 years, I've been uh, uh, consulting investment firms on digiceuticals or digital solutions. Uh, uh, and when I, in 2014, uh, was frustrated like everyone, not understanding what blockchain was, then spent a couple of thousand hours diving into it and uh, became, people said, a, a, a crypto uh, influencer. I like to think myself more as a crypto Sherpa, you know, helping people get down from the mountain and not, you know, killing themselves on the way down. Um, I'm currently a, a head of the Crypto Health Advisory uh, at Crypto Oracle, which is a VC uh, uh, crypto fund. And I've seen dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, uh, different healthcare and healthcare-related projects that come to me for advice. So I'm paid to tell them that what they're doing is nonsense. And uh, uh, um, uh, uh, it gives me a, a great grasp. And I invite you to read my posts on Medium uh, 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 that will give you an insight into these thoughts. Uh, there are four things that I would like kind of to focus on because the panelists mentioned a lot of important things. The reason for the first is description. Uh, uh, people don't explain well blockchain. The number one reason that I think we don't explain well blockchain is because we don't, we describe it. So, so when you say to someone, what is water? And they say water is H2O. If you don't know what H is and you don't know what O is, it's like saying water is W-A-T-E-R. So we don't explain blockchain as if there's a public ledger or we use words that were invented in the last two years. It's, it's meaningless. And so we need to go into the beginnings of blockchain to understand the intention behind it. And so when we go to Satoshi Nakamoto's Genesis block and we read the VEX version uh, of it, in it, he between the numbers of that protocol he put in, the chancellor bailed again RBC. So in his mind, 
The whole idea of digital money is to overcome or to decrease the predatory practices of centralized organizations. So this is really what it's all about. It's all about uh, uh, um, us today living in a world that we are surrounded by centralized institutions that are using our data, our money, our information without our explicit uh, uh, consent in a way that is not beneficial to us. And, 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 and uh, um, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, uh, the, the, the second thing is that because data is the, the, the currency that we talk about in healthcare, um, we talk a lot of, about a lot of things. We talk about security, we talk about privacy. What we don't talk about enough is ownership. And so when 23andMe goes and sells my information for $300 million and I don't get anything from it, that is not okay. When Facebook does what it does, that is not okay. So, so, so it's about the ownership. Yes, uh, military-grade encryption is really excited. Zero-knowledge proof is excited. There's a whole host. If you're a technologist, you can get really aroused by all the things that are happening. But, but it's really about empowerment, about ownership, and, 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 and it's rooted in elements of dignity, human dignity, and empathy. The third thing that I would want to say, and I've said this a couple of times in Congress and in different testimonials that I gave, when people ask what is the problem of healthcare, there are, we can spend the whole day of what the problems are. Anywhere from saying that uh, we don't care about health and that's the problem of healthcare. Uh, the fundamental problem, uh, uh, in my opinion, is uh, um, that, uh, um, we are, we are brought up in a system where we are health service consumers instead of health producers. So we just do stuff. We go and we do tests and we take pills and we do a whole bunch of things, okay? And we consume more and more of it and the mortality actually uh, or, or life expectancy in the United States has been decreasing the third year in a row. So this is a low value proposition business. And so we need to transform patients from health consumers, from passive health consumers to, to uh, health producers. Now, um, what blockchain brings is not just the quantified self and what Frank was talking about, uh, 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 knowing our, our, our own data and actually uh, um, um, engaging in, in preventative healthy behaviors, but it's also creating wealth that suddenly through different reward mechanisms, be it on utility tokens or security tokens, I can actually make money from being healthy. And so data, health data is like money. It's mine. I can access it whenever I want for whatever reason. I need to keep it in a safe wallet and if my expectation is that its value will accrue with time, then also I can donate it and I can inherit it. And this brings me to my last point, and that is that it is mine. And this David brought up in his historical review in the previous panel, where we're all, some of us are old enough to remember that we grew up in an environment that we wouldn't speak unless spoken to as kids. 
We did not have expectations to any participatory uh, 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 reality. Okay, we were lived in a in a democracy, maybe, or but we lived in an authoritative uh, uh, mindset where someone who was older than you would speak and you would not. And then somewhere I don't know, it was the '80s. Uh, Reagan, Thatcher, deregulation, internet, democratization of knowledge, suddenly it became human-centric, patient-centric, citizen-centric, uh, uh, student-centric. It was not nice to tell to people what to do. But it's not patient-centric anymore because 2008 happened. And this representative democracy where our representatives did not represent us but represented their own needs and their own interests have created a movement of holacracy, of self-assembling teams that we are doing stuff. I didn't fit a job description. David didn't fit a job. We went and had an urge, woke up, asked, do you want to help me? Do you want to help me do? And he said, fine. And this is the world that's now human-driven. It's student-driven. It's citizen-driven. And this is what blockchain does, this technology, that works together, of course, with other technologies, and it's not on its own, but it allows us, it gives us the tool to drive all this. I think now that we um, know who you are, um, where you're coming from, and what, you, what you're working on, it's, it's good to start with uh, having a panel discussion. I would like to invite everybody to uh, participate. Um, so if you have a question or a comment, uh, please indicate that by raising your hand. And uh, my name is David Siegel. I'm a, ref I'm a regulatory refugee from the United States living in London. And uh, I want to ask Frank, um, I imagine the data in healthcare is doubling every 18 months or something like that, just like it is everywhere else, roughly, right? I'm, and you mentioned Fitbit and, and a bunch of other sort of, you know, quantitative, quantified itself. I'm concerned about rigorous nonsense. I'm concerned that there's lousy data everywhere and it's getting more and more and people are just generating data for data's sake and your Fitbit doesn't have anything to do with your personal health at all, with outcomes. Can, can you address a little bit about like how we know what data is any good or use? Well, I mean, that's a great question. Because, because you know, when you get, when you get uh, an over plethora of data and what's meaningful and what's not meaningful. You know, I, and this is, this is where the next component comes in and, and some of it you, you guys addressed in the previous panel, which is some aspect of machine learning and intelligence that make it relevant. So I think a lot of the existing IoT space is irrelevant, personally, because, you know, as I said, most people that have the Fitbit stop using it after six months, why? I don't know, maybe they don't hit their 10,000 steps and they get frustrated, or, or is it that meaningful? But I do think the next round, uh, the next round uh, of things uh, are going to be very meaningful. You know, take, take genomic, genomic tests and, and reading some of, some, of, some of the markers from genomic tests on my metabolic rate for certain medications, I think that's meaningful. You know, I think reading some of the proteomics uh, type tests in terms of how my body's functioning, I think it becomes very meaningful, but it needs an interpretation. You know, me as an individual, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist from that perspective, so it needs a level of an interpretation and understanding. But the quantity of those kind of data, you know, just one protein read, proteomics read, is really the equivalent inside to doing a high fidelity genome scan, uh, genome sequence. 
and I'm going to do those pretty regular now. And and then with the you know with the advent of new new techniques to draw blood, you know these little these little micro draws uh, that that make it a little more a little easier to do that, so I don't have to go into the dock and get poked with a needle. So you're going to see more quantitative, true quantitative measures. And I think some of the IoT devices are going to are going to be true true quantitative measures. You know, um, and we, we've seen some of this, although it's not been pro productized on a broad scale, me a continuous measurement of blood sugar, you know, with contacts, that's, that's very valuable. You know, things that IoT devices you may swallow and, and provide some internal measurements become very valuable. So I just think we're just seeing the start of what's valuable, but it's, it's more than doubling every year, by the way, on data. It's, it's almost like a 10X on the, on the healthcare side of life. And I will contend that most, most data in current health records are meaningless for you going forward. So rather than trying to pull it all out and stick it in a blockchain, I say we take a starting point with this next generation of health and use that as a basis to move forward. And then, yeah, if we can get some of that old stuff in, awesome, that's great, let's do that. You know, yeah, let me see my cholesterol read for the last 20 years, that would be great. I'm not sure how relevant it is for me tomorrow just yet. I, I, I would like to add also, I'll be even more provocative in, in saying yes, you know, obviously machine learning will, will refine our understandings, but even as we speak now, we, we quite understand what are the questions that need to be asked. And if we look at the bulk of the burden of diseases that are out there, and at least in the OECD countries, uh, and now also permeating into developing countries, we're talking about heart disease, hypertension, heart disease, uh, obesity, diabetes, all these lifestyle modifiable diseases, and then we include into that mental health and pain and alcohol and smoking and so on. And for those, for the bulk of chronic lifestyle modifiable diseases, there are only two questions that have been found to be correlators to your, your, your life. And that is one, your zip code, and your second is the presence or absence of adverse childhood events. So I'm not saying that uh, genomics and phenomics and proteomics or whatever omics are not a thing and that we don't need to do it because we'll do it for more emotional reasons because we have this fetish towards numbers that we feel more secure if we know all this and we'll figure out some optimization technology to uh, you know, uh, uh, sift away the stuff that is noise. But the real question, okay, is not really complicated, that it's the social determinants of health. People have clean water, clean air, uh, green, uh, 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 green parks is the only vegetable in our neighborhood ketchup. All these kind of things actually will determine life expectancy. Uh, just, <coughs> I like it. No, it's, a, it's, 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 I love the concept of moving from a health services consumer to the health producers, as you, as you rightly said. But uh, following you, your question and, and discussion around the data, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's in one hand, you know, uh, how to manage this, this capital of health, you know, with all this information, education, you know, air quality, water, and so on, uh, against the situation that uh, still, you know, the small percentage of citizens are chronic patients, so they are in the constant 
interaction with the with the healthcare sector, you know, because of the one or other diagnosis. So I think that we always will deal with the with the with one concept, which is try to get the data which help us to maintain the health capital, which uh, Alex explained is a, is, a, is a good to have and maintain, even to be paid for this. It's a it's a very interesting concept as well, which we've explored by the way. By Singapore some years ago on the health account concept, you know, this, uh, this is something we have seen, and then we go to the to the situation that the, the interaction with data monitoring. We see now the in the kind of quite big network of clinic, clinic clinicians in the European Reference Network. We have thousands of clinics connected that. Each patient is coming with a rare diseases case. It's 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 the it's just mountain of data, and and of course you know, this data should exist and should be discussed and and, and uh, assessed to get the right diagnosis. Because even if you have great capital, health capital, you you still may have very serious diseases which you have to manage with a huge number of data. But of course, the next problem is, is coming with all these sensors, data, all uh, nice monitors. We can we can register, you know, every day our our um, heartbeat, our osteoporosis, glucosis, whatever. Uh, but how does data can be analyzed, and what does it make sense? This is something also maybe we should not forget about medical professions and, uh, and the standards and uh, guidelines. I don't so far. I don't believe that the, there is a complete change in the world that machines will tell us you know uh, what to do with uh, with, uh, with with some medical problems because we still need uh, human touch maybe not in the next uh, 10 years but but so now I, I don't believe the machines will will answer all questions just, just one I'm sorry. just only one uh, one addition uh, we need to remember about the quality of data because we are living in the time in which we are uh, collecting all kinds of data, but I think it should be uh, it should be related to uh, the type of the disease. It should be uh, uh, related to the possibility to compare the data. So some standards are, are are very important, and the quality of data is also related to the complexity of data. In some diseases, as it was mentioned uh, when we are talking about uh, some mental diseases and so on, the lifestyle information, lifestyle data are very important. In some, much more important are the data uh, of different types. Yes? So, so we need to, to separate the, 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 the ways and to differentiate. But on the other hand, when we are talking about this, about this quality of data, we need to remember about the message from the General Data Protection Regulation, which, uh, which means uh, when we are starting to process the data, legitimacy. It should be, it should be based on legitimacy. Yes? And, uh, and of course, I think if we will have much more precise described the needs and expectations related to data, we can start not only to go this way uh, uh, of uh, patient-centric, as, uh, and as you have said, it's very inspiring, uh, patient-driven, yes, with participation of, uh, uh, of patients, but also I think uh, uh, it will be much more, uh, much more clear uh, what does it mean, not only my control over my data, but also my openness for donating data, in addition so I think it's uh, also related to the uh, uh, knowledge about what kind of data are qualified and are needed for, 
the real research and after that real diagnosis and after that uh, support and help uh, uh, with therapy. Would you like to respond to this question? No, I actually have a different one. Okay, well, let me just uh, then finalize this question. I think very interesting to hear that, you know, we're looking at data as the fuel, what we put in the blockchain. Uh, we talked about the importance of having the data from nurture and nature. Um, and I think it's a, a legitimate question uh, that was asked. And I think that we agree that the, the current generation of, uh, of tools um, may not be everything we need, but it's in development and the next generation of tools will probably give us a more reliable source of, uh, of input for blockchain. Just go ahead. Thank you. So uh, my name is Maria Minarikova. I'm from Fetch AI. Uh, we're an AI blockchain and digital economics company uh, based in Cambridge. And I actually have a question because I've been to uh, Healthcare Unblocked in London. I listened to you there. We met there. I'm here and uh, I'm just going to read. I'm not from Estonia. I'm from Slovakia originally. I live in the UK. But I just want to read something about Estonia. And it says uh, on, on the website here, um, each person in Estonia has, uh, that has visited a doctor has an online e-health record that can be tracked. Identified by the electronic ID card, the health information is kept completely secure and at the same time accessible to authorized individuals. KSI blockchain technology is being tested for the system and will be implemented in the near future to ensure data integrity and mitigate internal threats to the data. And I have three statistics here out of four. 95% uh, of health data is digitized. 99% of prescriptions are digital and 100% of electronic billing in healthcare uh, is there. So how come they're not here? Why are we not having them here in this panel discussing what they have done? They're far advanced. I think they're probably the, the, the most advanced country in Europe that has digitized almost everything pretty much. Um, they're you know using a certain kind of blockchain. Uh, it's not public as far as I know, but, but still, you know, they have so much more experience. Why don't, why don't we have them here? Well, they're not here because they couldn't come. Uh, we did definitely invite them and target them. Um, on the other hand, I can say that uh, we spoke to them about this, and, and they also admitted that, you know, yes, they may be you know, the leading country in that sense, but they are also you know, a, a relatively smaller country. So it's uh, they have a different starting point than other countries. But um, yes, it would be great to have them here. Uh, I know that they're leading the discussions here in the institutions as well. So they're already kind of um, very, very much involved in the existing um, policy efforts. Uh, but yes, but uh, and also I think that yes, they advanced a great bit, but they also have still uh, a lot of um, uh, barriers they need to overcome as well in terms of um, uh, ownership and access uh, of the blockchain. So they're, they're, yes, it sounds very good, but they're also not 100% there yet. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I'm sure they're not 100% yet, but I think they're farther than we are, all of us in this room probably, uh, where, where we want to be. And I, I understand they're a smaller country, but you start with a pilot. Always you start with something small and then you scale up. So I think it would be really uh, helpful to all of us to understand what they have done, what uh, kind of issues they have encountered, how they have overcome them, and then learn from that and together build something that's, uh, that's going to work and scale up. Yeah, I think it's also a very important point you make in terms of, um, you know, we spoke about, you know, yes, there may be a difference between uh, Europe and the US and elsewhere uh, across the globe. Um, I think, yes, we, we deal with the same challenges, but I think in Europe we have additional challenges in terms of, yeah, we have so many different health systems. Uh, and yes, we may have a, a case study or a, a pilot country, but then, yeah, whatever they come up with may not um, be 
applicable in other countries. So it's an additional challenge. Um, but that, that's design. true. And just for your information, you may be aware of that. But uh, I, I think at the moment they're starting a new pilot. They will be testing uh, the digitized, uh, exchanging prescriptions between Estonia and Finland. Mm -hmm. So they are already involving yep. other countries in this pilot and scaling up. So I think we should probably, uh, you know, um, thank you. That uh, It's great that you've tried. But I think perhaps in the future we should really make sure that we have somebody, uh, you know, yes, here. Yes, from. Yeah, thank you. Be more great. strict on that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think Estonia is certainly relevant, but this is a centralized approach, and we are now trying to see what can be a decentralized approach with a different ecosystem and a different uh, rationale for, the, uh, for having incentives aligned. And uh, so uh, coming back to blockchain and, uh, and, uh, and, and this, uh, this element, I think we live here in, uh, in the combined world. We have a great technology, which is blockchain. We have a great regulation, notwithstanding what uh, uh, David Siegel, uh, Siegel was saying about GDPR, uh, which has to be implemented, which doesn't foresee uh, explicitly the blockchain, which needs to be uh, worked upon on this. Uh, something which is possibly combining the GDPR and blockchain is the fact that in blockchain we can use smart contracts. <coughs> smart contracts can handle consent. The, block, the GDPR is very much about consent. And so this will be possibly a higher way of dealing with all this. And I think this is important. I am representing here a little uh, a European project which is called My Health, My Data. We are working on this. Um, but for the, on, on the other hand, there is also um, the big question that until we find a way for really making data shareable and tradable, exchangeable, there will no be uh, incentives for doing anything. Even the uh, passage from data consumer to data producer means implies that something like this is, is in place. And this is uh, connected with another type of technology that is the privacy-preserving technologies, which go with it. Because blockchain needs, deals with transactions, but uh, this implies in, uh, using. So there are two aspects of the uh, privacy-preserving issue there. One is the fact that you need to be uh, allowing for data publishing in some way or another, be it pseudonymized, be it anonymized, be it as synthetic data. There must be some way there which is clear and which is uh, GDPR compliant and, and, and very, and, and very uh, straightforward. And the other thing is that you can have uh, data computation, which is another horizon now, through secure multi-party computation, through homomorphic encryption, which is a way of getting output results, uh, something which gives you an answer to questions where you want to, to test an algorithm on a large number of data, and then you can have this on, 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 the, on, on this basis. So these are the things which I think should go together. There is, there, it is a, a game with three players. There is the GDPR, there is the blockchain with its capacity, there is privacy-preserving technology which must come together and give solutions to this. I, I, just, I just want to say uh, briefly, um, uh, in both of the questions, and I just want to make everybody attentive that 
the discussion here is very nuanced and there are very sophisticated considerations that are put into the fray that explain the possible barriers to adoption right now or speak about the next steps we should wait for uh, for it to become more mainstream. Um, I would just, because I'm a doctor at the end of the day and I see patients and I look at people and I try to understand why they behave and why they say the things they say, that most of the considerations of lack of uh, 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 adoption pertain to the normal human reaction to change. I'm sure you're all familiar with Kubler-Ross's five stages of bereavement. So if anybody you hear think in the room that blockchain is not a thing, you're in stage one, it's a denial, right? If you're all upset because of all the scams and you think that 99% is just scams, you're in stage two, which is anger. If you're starting to say, well, you know, maybe it's a small country, it's a big country, it's US, it's this, it's the with homomorphic, without all the, we are now ICOs, STOs, all this is now stage three, the bargaining phase. Stage four is depression. Oh my God, you know, we lost 97%. Let's look back to the Amazon bubble. Let's try to calm ourselves down. I think this morning we were on the greed and fear index. I don't know if you don't look at that, but we were at like nine, which is extreme panic. But again, you know, in the United States, we have reasons why to be in extreme panic. And only five, stage five is the acceptance. So all what I'm trying to say is that we will continue this very sophisticated conversation because it is important because we are the specialists uh, and, and with the Estonians will be even better. But, but at the end of the day, the drivers for policy, when I work with four-star generals or when I work with the, 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 the representatives both in the House and the Senate, it, re, it resorts or, or, or falls on much more basic human behavior instincts that have to do with the change and understanding the non-sustainability of our current behavior. Because when my wife explains to her friends what I do, I look at her and I say, sweetheart, that is not at all what I do. But when my 12-year-old explains, I say, that's exactly what we're doing. So we are designing a world for our children where obviously they're gonna have their electronic healthcare record residing on their mobile through a distributed uh, um, cloud because it is um, attack resistant and sensor resistance and collusion resistant. Of course they will receive different types of rewards, monetary and non-monetary in order to preserve their health or actually also when they're injured do secondary and tertiary care. Because even when you are addicted and you are to drugs and you are in recovery, there are ways to gamify it in a sense that you can maintain and resort back to life. So all what I'm saying is that this is a great conversation, but at the end, you know, what we really need to do is not uh, only blockchainize healthcare, but also healthify, if that's a word, the crypto space and the whole community of technologists at large. So we're up for depression first. Um, thank you for that. Um, Andres, uh, Mikael, do, do you agree with um, what, what, uh, what he said? And is this also, does it apply, you think, um, on this side of the Atlantic? Yeah, I, maybe I can a little bit reflect on this depression and change. Uh, I think the, uh, be a doctor as well, you know, I, I, I really feel that <clears throat> we, 
Okay, patience, roles is important, you know, and, and I really feel that informed patients, consumers will, will, will play the game according to the rules that he or she likes and so on. But now we, we cannot live without health professionals, you know, it's a, I, I know we are, def I am defending our profession, but, <laughs> but uh, I have seen this in many, many situations that doctors are usually the uh, most innovative uh, Guys, they really, you know, if the new new technology coming to the doctor's office, usually we grab it, we like to use. Sometimes we have all this, you know, five stages thinking. But most of doctors I met in my life, they are really kind of entrepreneur, ready for change. But at the same time, we are oh, doctors are very conservative, and you 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 always have this feeling, you know. And I ask time to time in the room, you know who like to be operated by innovative or by conservative sergeant. You know, and usually people choose the conservative sergeant who is the one who knows what he's doing and he this is, you know, thousand times and he, he doesn't try on me. And this is the, I think the, the complex problem in the, in the change in the, in the health system because in one hand we run for technologies, uh, in other hand we are really uh, skeptical and conservative to, to use it. But at the same time, I strongly believe if we don't go, next step, we will not get there. So, so and in full agreement, you know, that, that we are designing future. And I still remember, you know, many years ago, one of big corporations when I was still my university issues, you know, asked me to join the global debate about the future. And this time, it was a question, you know, what will happen with the mobile uh, phones? You know, we had them not smartphone this time. And I remember we conclude that will be the day like this, that we'll have smartphones for everything. But this time, you know, believe it or not, even this big corporation, the CEOs, you know, the, they're quite skeptical about this. So, so, you know, we are also in the technology maneuver when, when even the big bosses, they, they still don't believe so. But I, I, I strongly believe, and Alex is right, it will happen and as smartphones happen today. It will happen and, and we have to just help. And, and, and I, would, I would just briefly add that um, it's interesting that at least I don't know if it's the same in Europe, but in the U.S. there is a movement actually, it's called direct primary care, where doctors do not want to participate in the current marketplace where they have all this friction with insurance companies and where they are uh, uh, creating these peer-to-peer medical and monetary transactions, some of them using cryptocurrencies, now less so, but they very much embrace this disintermediated approach that reminds them the way they think medicine should be. And there's actually a couple of projects that are like DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations for Doctors, where the governance is determined by smart contracts to represent them, because currently doctors, at least in the US, do not have representative unions and their savant societies don't actually help them out. So. Um, you're absolutely right that uh, if your name is Dr. Hammer, everything looks like a nail and you would want to be that kind of in that way. But um, uh, um, I think that doctors more than I would say hospitals or payers or the government have that sense of urgency that this is not sustainable because their patients are not doing better and their life is miserable. I don't know, again, the numbers in Europe, but burnout from, for your suicide from burnout among physicians in the US has become a real problem every day. 
one to two doctors commit suicide. So think about it, that they would prefer to die than to rather log into their electronic health record. That is very extreme. And so, and so uh, to the point that the IHI, the Institute for Health Improvement, had added to better care, lower cost, better experience, the fourth point, which is to reduce doctor burnout. So they are the adopters of digital therapies and digiceuticals and uh, uh, in blockchain. But again, we need to explain it in a more, I would say, uh, uh, relevant way to them. Yeah, <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, we want to make health personal again. You know, it's not about data, it's not about the technology, it's really about living, living our lives. And you know, we've tried so many things to, to force electronic health records um, that uh, actually introduced uh, more overhead, more burdens. You know, we, we increased the diagnostic, I'm talking about in the US, diagnostic codes and all the other things that uh, add administrative overhead that make it extremely frustrating for professionals to do their jobs and for um, for me as a patient to, to inter interact because I'm not talking to you. I'm, you're talking to a screen and I'm there for three minutes and then I'm out talking to somebody to pay my bill or something else. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, <clears throat> and what's, you know, when we talk about blockchain, I, I don't know if it's five years, I don't know if it's 10 years from now, we're not gonna even mention the word. If you go back to the start of the internet, there was a big fight over all the underlying protocols this thing called ATMs, and I'm not talking about money machines, where all the telcos were saying, hey, this is the technology of the future, and then this little old startup technology called Ethernet and TCP IP just, just overcame. Why? Because there was this broad-scale community adoption. And that's what I think you see with blockchain. Yeah, is there problems in health, particularly with data? You know, blockchain is not suited for large, complex data sets, as, as is in terms of how it was invented and applied for cryptocurrencies um, and those types of digital assets and digital asset transfers. It's not suited for that. So there has to be augmented protocols. It's not suited for complex, con complex consent models when more than one person may own or have rights to a piece of data. Because you know, doctors would still like to maintain um, some of your information in, a, in the health record within their files as well as let you take some with you along the way. We still have needs for broader population health. We still have needs to deal with um, applying that and combining that with social economic determinants. We still have needs on a personalized basis um, to, to how that data is used and consumed in a, in a much more efficient, meaningful way. And I'm just gonna echo, echo one thing. Technology never solves anything. It doesn't solve anything. You know, the application of technology to a useful solution, that's what solves problems. So it's like technology doesn't solve management problems, but management can solve and work around technology issues. And that's really where we are. And it's gotta be a combination of a ground, of, of grass, grassroots support. Um, and I'll just use demographics in the United States, right? So we have 5,000 hospitals. We have roughly one to 1.2 million health, health professionals. Um, and there's 300 million people, 350 million people, depending on what you're counting. Where can you, where can you effectuate most change? You know, when I get 50 million people driving down, down a road and something, I guarantee the system is going to adopt. But the current system with all its, its existing immune, Im, immune uh, systems in place between how things get paid and how services deliver, what can I deliver, or hey, you got to do this first before I can go to there, even though I know 
I'm smart enough to know as a physician, I should just take you right to that treatment. So that's the thing, that's the thing that some of this really allows us to begin to address and overcome in a way that provides solutions that's different and unique and innovative that enable the creativity of the primary participants um, in this whole ecosystem, which is you as a person and your care providers. And that's really the ultimate objective, in my opinion, and that's the goal and what blockchain can actually facilitate. So I, I'm not sure if you can, if we, if we can avoid uh, uh, all of those five stages and go directly to the stage five uh, acceptances. Probably we need to go through all those. But on the other hand, I think it's very important when you have asked about uh, the relations between uh, European Union and United States, for example, to start uh, stronger cooperation uh, 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 in global dimension. It's very important. It's related not only to healthcare area, because there are many different systems, but also it's related to the model how we are using the data. And this is a privacy shield agreement between European Union and United States. This is our work with Japan now and South Korea on the principle of uh, adequacy uh, to have also agreement related to uh, flows of data. And I think it would be very, very important. So we need to have some global solutions when we are talking about data. It uh, will cause probably better standardization and so on and so on. But on the other hand, what is, what is especially important to treat and to understand that decentralization, which is the, the substance of, uh, of, of blockchain, uh, is the great opportunity because this decentralization is starting with participation of us as individuals. You have mentioned the consent, yes, and the, uh, 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 when you have uh, uh, mentioned this, uh, 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 those uh, agreements and uh, 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 smart, uh, uh, smart contracts and so on. So, so I think it's, it's, it's very important to uh, uh, to create the area, to create the field for, for this decentralization and involve all partners. How to involve individuals, how to, how to involve uh, professionals, uh, uh, medical professionals, how to involve the, uh, uh, technologies uh, uh, and understand that uh, technology is not solving the problem, but we need to solve uh, some problems. And w w what, is the, what is the very important part of this uh, new issue for the future is, if I can say, digital health literacy. Because we need to understand, now I, I think there are many problems, also among uh, phys physicians, doctors, also among uh, patients, yes? So, so I think we need to, to focus also on, uh, uh, in addition, on, on, on that issue. And uh, I think it, it's not, uh, it's not uh, uh, create the situation of the five stage uh, suddenly as an acceptance, yes? But I think it will be, uh, one of the uh, stimulative factors to, to go in this direction. Thank you. I, th I think these are kind of nice closing remarks um, uh, because we are also ending uh, our time. Um, I think we can all agree that the blockchain or whatever it's going to be called in the future um, is here to stay. Um, but we uh, need to find a way to better explain it uh, to all the stakeholders and more 
what it means exactly. So not just talk about the technology, but what uh, the outcome of the technology uh, will be. Um, it's also, we spoke about the need to ensure that blockchain is kind of dealt with um, or integrated in current and future regulation. Uh, GDPR was mentioned as a possibly a nice starting point uh, to pick up um, after uh, next year's elections. Um, maybe um, with that, uh, one final question to end the session to each of you. Um, if you could change one thing with immediate effect to advance the potential for technology, what would it be? Discuss, develop, create uh, partnerships, but not kill the development of those technologies, but uh, redundant uh, uh, legislation. And that's a that's an awesome <laughs> question. What well, one thing would I would I do? Um, uh, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna echo. Let's go to stage five of acceptance. You know, which is little little incremental little incremental movements uh, make big changes over time. So, you know, let, let's let's get some things going right now. Let's not wait for it all to evolve. You know, let's go trial and learn and iterate and do it again and do it again and do it again. So, not a one size fits all model. I, I follow Frank. Basically, yeah. it was my my thought as well. I mean, the, we have to experiment. You know, this thing will not happen without without trial. Uh, but at the same time, I think we, we should share this, this knowledge uh, around the globe, most probably not just, just here in Brussels. And, and finally, uh, acceptance will come with the time. You know, we, we should not uh, kind of go against the time, you know, because it will not happen tomorrow, but hopefully, you know, it will come in, in, in time. I'm actually used to these type of questions. The military, I remember once my sergeant asked me if one thing to bring to the desert, I said I would bring a, a, a door of a car. And he said, why? I said, because if it's hot, I can open the window. <laughs> but, 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 but really just one thing, if there's one takeaway, is everybody can understand that the opposite of health is not disease. Because we think that the opposite of health is disease, that's why we have a disease management system. The opposite of health is isolation. That as we get sicker, our world contracts and becomes smaller and smaller until one day it's so small, we say this is not worth it. And so if we believe that the opposite of health is, is isolation, then the journey back to wellness is connectedness to our family, to our friends, to our data, to our faith. I we used to say Facebook, I don't say that anymore, but you know, choose your F, but it's, 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 uh, uh, it's connectedness, it's community, it's community building. And the way I explain it to my 12-year-old is I say to her, if you take the I out of illness and you replace it with we, you get the word wellness. And so this is really what it's all about, this whole effort today is about creating a community that is interdependent, just like I said from the beginning of the talk, is because none of us is as good as all of us. Thank you very much. Um, I encourage everybody to take forward the discussion over lunch, and thank you very much for your attention.